last segment, we've been looking at those old negative categories of fake lore and folklorism, uh, fabricated folklore and secondhand folklore. And I'd kind of mentioned right at the end that while both of these are kind of put down or criticized by folklore purists, we can and maybe should be taking them uh, seriously since they also matter to the people who are consuming them, the kind of masses who are consuming them and keeping them alive. That's what we're going to be doing in this segment. We'll be looking at some ways that a new, bold group of folklorists is studying what we can call maybe more positively as hybrid folklore, as folklore that's thoroughly blended with pop culture, modern technology, mass media. These scholars are trying to figure out how hybrid folklore works as a productive process, process, uh, meaning that something culturally powerful is produced when older forms of folklore, whether it's tales, legend, legends, recipes, jokes, hairstyles, whatever it is, uh, when it collides with pop culture, with movies, TV, music companies, big time media corporations. It's not just exploitation or contamination necessarily, but rather it creates an impact on how mainstream societies see themselves. So let's dive into it. Now, how does folklore get hybridized with pop culture? Michael Dylan Foster, who we're reading for the session, has theorized this process of hybridization as having three distinct levels. One is adaptation, two uh, is folklorism or precise illusion, and three is folkloresque or fuzzy illusion. Adaptation is pretty intuitive, and folklorism we talked about in our last segment. Folkloresque is a brand new concept that Foster has himself invented. Uh, the idea is that these are going to be three distinct flavors of hybrid folk pop culture. And we can map them onto our large Venn diagram of folklore, elite, and pop culture to kind of understand how they work. Okay, so remember the Venn diagram? Uh, it's been kind of our roadmap, right? Uh, and I've asked you to sort of uh, think about stuff that's found entirely in that green part so far, right? Stuff that you, we can call authentic folklore. Now, what does that mean? It means any cultural item or practice that's informal, unofficial, non-commercial. And it spreads from person to person like a virus. In contrast, bona fide items of elite culture is all that stuff that requires elite training uh, to make and to appreciate. It's one of a kind, no multiple existence, no variation. Bona fide pop culture is all that stuff that's mass-produced and distributed to mass audiences. It's corporate, commercial, made for profit, right? There's multiple existence, but no variation or little variation. Uh, for this segment, I think we should take three specific examples of these three circles, right? These three domains. One, uh, uh, let's think about a narrative joke that you might hear orally. Here's one. Here's a bar joke. A skeleton walks into a bar. He goes up to the bartender and says, I'd like a pint of beer and a mop, please. <laughs> uh, let's think about also a folk song. How about Mary had a little lamb, little, you know that one, right? Uh, any other song you might have learned from your parents or grandparents would do, but let's go with Mary Had a Little Lamb. Let's also think about folk food. How about this? If you're Korean, your family might have a traditional kimchi recipe that uh, you make every month or so and keep in the back of the fridge, right? Uh, it's something that's maybe been passed down from generation to generation as long as anyone in the family can remember. Maybe your own family has a different traditional food uh, like 
Korean kimchi that's similarly kind of just part of your family lore. Uh, now, let's think of pop culture equivalents to these three things, uh, narrative jokes, songs, and food. For jokes, maybe think of like a stand-up comedian like Russell Peters, Chris Rock, or Amy Schumer. Uh, better yet, maybe a TV sitcom like, I don't know, Big Bang Theory, The Simpsons, Modern Family, whatever your favorite is. In terms of pop songs or music, think about your favorite kind of big-time artists, their hit songs, right? Bruno Mars, Drake, Ariana Grande, whoever it is that you like. Uh, in terms of pop food, we can think of like a McDonald's burger, Taco Bell, I don't know, Starbucks, a latte, any other kind of big chain restaurant you can think of. Let's keep these pure examples in our head going forward. The skeleton in the bar joke, Mary had a little lamb, kimchi for folklore, Amy Schumer stand up, I don't know, Bruno Mars, just the way you are, right? And Starbucks latte as pop culture. Got it? So remember that for a long time, Folklorists are purists. They gravitated towards that stuff that was genuine folklore that falls in our green zone over here, right? Uh, they were especially critical of collecting stuff that was in the gray zone where the two spheres overlapped. They called this stuff either fake lore or folklorism. It was fake lore if it was actually pop culture that was falsely advertising, uh, advertised as being folklore. It was folklorism if it had once been genuine folklore, but it's been taken out of its natural context and presented in a commercialized pop cultural setting, like in a movie or TV or tourist trap or whatever. Right? Both fake lore and folklorism uh, for purists were inauthentic simulations of genuine folklore. Incidentally, as I've indicated, uh, using our kind of dashed lines in the diagram, you can also have folklorism when folklore is being taken from its natural environment into an elite culture. It doesn't have to just go into pop culture. Um, maybe one example is like when we're studying folklore as kind of university scholars, right? We're doing folklorism in that direction. There's a lot more to talk about also in the elite side, but let's ignore that for now and focus on pop culture and folklore. Anyway, fake lore and folklorism are negative labels, right? Nowadays, Michael Foster and a whole new group of folklorists have started to say, look, we live in a world that's thoroughly kind of inundated with pop culture, right? It's impossible to escape the impact of that big purple circle, right? Mauve, whatever that color is. Uh, it, get, it keeps getting bigger and bigger, right? You're not going to slow down pop culture. Maybe a lot of folklore performers, also producers, actually want to be in the gray zone. And actually, they want to make money off of the pop culture that they're producing, uh, off the folk culture that they're producing, just like pop culture performers make money. What do we do about it then? Do we just ignore all that and insist that fo the folk should only make genuine folklore and not get paid for it, not have wider audiences and that sort of thing? Well, of course not, right? Folklorists so have started to understand what goes on in that blurry gray zone of hybrid folklore a little bit more carefully. Michael Foster has maybe thought about this more than anyone else. Uh, he argues that there's actually three different levels of hybridity that folklore can take on with, uh, with pop culture. So when folklore is at the very edge of pop culture, you can call it adaptation. The idea here is that a genuine folktale or legend or some other item has been taken in its entirety and the creators are making a pop cultural version of that folk culture. For example, if someone made an animated version of the skeleton walks into a bar joke, 
we could call it a, I don't know, an anime adaptation of the skeleton walks into a bar joke. Maybe if Amy Schumer told that same joke in her stand-up show. How about if Bruno Mars recorded a whole version of Mary Had a Little Lamb with like full lyrics? It would be his way cool adaptation of that old folk song, right? Uh, an adaptation of kimchi, maybe that if the, the kimchi that you get actually at big chain grocery stores like Loblaws, I don't know. It's basically the same product, right? But it's made for a large mass market uh, audience by a comp- big, big time company, right? Uh, as folklore moves one degree further into pop culture, we get what Foster calls a precise illusion. This is the same as folklorism, by the way, that we talked about last time. It's when, sig- uh, it's when significant recognizable folklore forms are brought into a larger pop culture context, but they form just part of the larger whole. So an example might be that, let's say there's an animated movie about skeletons, I don't know, a video game that involves skeletons, and then one of them goes into a bar, drinks a beer, and then mops himself up, right? That's not the joke itself, right? It's not even an adaptation of the joke, but it's still recognizable as being an illusion connected to that joke, that folk joke. Uh, Let's imagine if Bruno Mars took the tune of Mary Had a Little Lamb, right? But then remixed it with a new funky beat. His own new funky lyrics had like layered guitar and all that kind of stuff on top of it. The song would be super awesome, I'm sure. It'd be a worldwide hit, but it would would still have those recognizable elements of that old folk song, Mary Had a Little Lamb. Uh, But it wouldn't be a word-for-word adaptation of the nursery rhyme, right? In terms of kimchi, well, how about imagine if McDonald's sh- sh- sold a kimchi burger, right? Where there's a patty, regular McDonald's patty with kimchi on top with the lettuce and cheese and pickles and onions and all that, right? Sounds kind of good, actually, doesn't it? Um, finally, when folk culture is pushed all the way to the edge of folklore, super deep into pop culture, then the illusions of pop culture to folklore are no longer precise, but they start to get fuzzy. Michael Foster invented a new word for this situation. He calls it the folkloresque. Uh, here, stuff kind of feels like folklore. It smells like folklore, as he says. But there's no definite references that you can point to where you can say, yes, that is a relic from old folk traditions. Right? So maybe if, if there's like a skeleton carrying a mop, like in fa- a Family Guy episode, I don't know, that could be a fuzzy allusion to the joke. Or what if Bruno Mars had a song with a hook that's kind of sounds like Mary Had a Little Lamb? The melody has a feel of the song, but it's not really that song, right? Then you could say it, it, it has a feeling of the folk song, but there's nothing more you can put your finger on to say that's from Mary Had a Little Lamb. There's lots of other examples like this in hip-hop music, actually. Uh, there's that old Jay-Z Punjabi MC remix, Beware of the Boys, which uses a Bhangra sample, but you can't really identify which Bhangra tune it is. Uh, in the case of food, let's say McDonald's comes out with a new sauce, I don't know, that's a cross between kimchi flavoring and ketchup, and they call it kimchup. Right? I don't know. Uh, it's, it's not kimchi. It's not ketchup. Right? You could say it's kind of like making fuzzy allusions to both in a way. Uh, I don't know. I'm stretching on that one. But as long as you get the idea, uh, what good does it do then to rethink this gray area as being different gradations of how much folklore is absorbed into pop culture as, as it turns into the folkloresque? Well, for one, we're no longer just dismissing all of this as being bad. Right? We're treating it instead as something creative, right? something new, something that adds new layers of meaning to those older folkloric materials. 
even at the very edge of folklore, we can still see that the folkloresque can impact people's lives, even though their lives are now fully kind of immersed and inundated in pop culture. The folkloresque also alleviates anxieties, articulates identity, and builds meaningful relationships, just like genuine folklore. So you don't have to leave the world of pop culture or mass media technology, commercialized lives, uh, to find folklore. It's already there, present, embedded right within it, just in these different levels of hybridity, and it impacts us just as much as that informal, pure folklore that we're sharing. A good folklorist then wouldn't throw it all away, as being contaminated materials, but would be able to study it on its own terms using that same AIR method, just like we're doing uh, with that stuff that purists would call genuine folklore. So with that, let's stop here. We've got quite a lot to think about and talk about as we kind of roar down the stretch and head for home in this whirlwind tour of folklore studies. See you next time at the finish line for our exciting conclusions. Mm -hmm.